You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So, Hump, my annual. Porn Short Film Festival kicked off this weekend, last weekend, in Seattle and Portland. And I was down in Portland to host the hump screenings at Revolution Hall. It was a blast. It was so great to see so many people coming out for funny, short, deeply humanizing porn. Some people don't like porn because they find it dehumanizing. The porn you will find at Hump, the Hump Film Fest, is very deeply humanizing porn. Porn that really butters your bread. You will know what I mean by that if you have seen Hump or you plan to see it in the future on the tour coming up. Uh, I mentioned Hump on this day of all days because I spent most of my time at Hump apologizing to the folks in the audience. Because here's the thing. you know, Every year we do the call for submissions for Hump. We invite filmmakers to make five minute or less short porn films. And they can be erotica. It can be hardcore. It can be humor. It can be softcore. Really, uh, it can be anything. And we put together this porn festival. And every year when we do the call for submissions and we invite filmmakers to create these films, we invite them to include a prop or two in their movies. It's just their way of burying an Easter egg here and there for audiences to look out for. And then audiences, when they see them, are like, ah, oh, look, they made this film just for us, just for Hump. Isn't that awesome? There's that thing. There's that prop we were told to watch out for. There it is. And here's the thing. There are two props this year in the Hump Film Festival. One is the accordion, the instrument. Everyone loves the accordion. And so there's a lot of accordion porn in this year's Hump Film Festival. And accordion porn is an underrepresented porn genre. And we are happy to shine a light on accordion porn at Hump this year. And the other prop is Make America Great Again hats, about which we feel terrible. Because so many people last weekend were coming to Hump to escape the fucking election, to take a break from having to think about the danger our republic is in today, Tuesday, election day, the, the, the peril that this country is in, because one of our two major political parties has been seized, not exactly seized, but let's seized, for lack of a better word right now, seized by a right-wing, xenophobic, racist, sexist, rapey bigot. Now, that didn't happen by accident. The Republican Party has worked for 40 years to create a base that is comprised, it seems, almost entirely of, or the majority certainly is comprised entirely of, the majority of their base, racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic bigots. And hey, they nominated one of their own. That's a thing that happened. And people came to Hump to get that all, get out of, to not have to think about orange Cheeto Jesus, right? For one weekend, they came to hump and then they had to watch a lot of porn with Make America Great Again hats in it. And we felt terrible about that. And in our defense, when we did the call for submissions for hump, it was a year ago. We do that a year in advance. And so when we picked that hat as the prop, we thought Donald Trump wasn't going to get the nomination. Like everybody else, we thought Donald Trump couldn't possibly get the nomination. So when you saw that hat, you would say at hump, you would say, hey, oh my God, remember when the Republican Party flirted with nominating a racist, sexist, xenophobic, rapey, orange reality television star, asshole bigot. Remember that? Ha <laughs> That was hilarious. Oh, my God. Look at that hat. Not how it played out. So I apologize to everyone who came to Hump this weekend who was traumatized by the sight of that hat. Although the hat was used in one film as a dirty condom receptacle, which I think is the only appropriate use for that hat. 
And of course, it wasn't just audiences in Seattle and Portland that we were tormenting with these fucking ads. It's audiences all over the country because Hump is going to tour the country. The program that opened this week in Seattle and Portland will go on to the Hump tour across the country. Humpfilmfest.com for tickets. And everyone who's going to want to not have to think about Trump anymore is going to have to look at a lot of Donald Trump make America great again hats. But one of them again used as a dirty condom receptacle. Hopefully today, Tuesday, election day, hopefully this is the end of Donald Trump. Sadly, it will not be the end of Trumpism, the poisons that he has unleashed in our society, the alt-right bigots that he has empowered, the white supremacists, the anti-Semites. We're going to be dealing with the repercussions of the Trump disaster for a long time, but hopefully Trump is going to be dispatched today by the voters. I said repeatedly when people were predicting a Trump victory because he did so well in the GOP primaries that the American public is not the GOP base and vice versa. And I am confident today as we go to the polls and continue going to the polls, lining up for hours in some places to get to the polls in states where Republican legislators and governors have made it as difficult as possible for people to vote, particularly in minority communities, and fuck them and fuck that. I am confident that Trump is going to lose I am confident because the American people are not the GOP base. Thank God and vice versa. Thank fucking God. I voted myself today, shortly before we recorded today's show. I sat down and voted. I filled out my ballot, voted for a woman for president for the first time in my life, was proud to watch my son across the dining room table, 18 years old, his first election, voting for the first time, voting for a woman. Happy to see that. I had to get to 52 before I could vote for a woman for president. He only had to get to 18 before he could vote for a woman for president. His first vote, a woman for president. And right now I'm thinking of all the kids out there, young enough that their only living memory of a president is a black man, and their memory going forward, the next president that they're going to be aware of is a woman. There are silver linings even in this deeply distressing and depressing election. I hope you've voted. In fact, I withdraw my consent for you to listen to today's show until you've gone and voted, unless, of course, you are listening in Canada or one of our listeners in Italy or the UK or Australia, in which case you don't have to vote in the American election. It would be nice if you did, because I bet you wouldn't vote for Donald fucking Trump. But please don't. No election fraud. Don't give them any excuses. But the rest of you, my American listeners, you do not have my consent to listen to today's show until you go out there and fucking vote. And vote for her. I'm with her. I hope you're with her. Because that's the choice before us. It's him. Orange, xenophobic, racist, rapey him. Or her. And by her I mean Hillary Clinton. Not that other her. Hillary Clinton. You're with her if you're listening to my show. All right. Quickly before we get to your questions and the rest of the show. It's a little awkward having to record today's show before we know anything about how the vote turned out before we know who the president is. But tomorrow I will be recording a new episode of Blabbermouth with Rich Smith and our host, Eli Sanders. The Stranger's other big podcast, our weekly news podcast. If you want to hear what I have to say about the results of the election with Rich and Eli, be sure to listen to Blabbermouth this week for more political ranting. But now, now we're going to get to the sex ranting, the sex questions, and the relationship problems. Hey, Dan. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I'm a 25-year-old bisexual female living in Colorado who just surprisingly got broke up with my long-term boyfriend of six years. Uh, For the first four to five years of our relationship, we almost never fought. 
over this last year, we've had more fights than we've ever had, which was still only four or five big fights. And I tell you, when times were good, they were so, so good. And when they got bad, they were bad for a week and then turned around. I moved on from the fights. Turns out, he never really did. Now, our relationship was very special. We were the power couple everyone looked up to. We were in a fairly successful open relationship, had been living together for over five years, and got along really well together. Anyway, we had a big fight about a week ago because I was a drunk idiot, and it what seemed like an instant decided he no longer loves me, no longer cares about me, and has convinced himself that breaking up is the only option. I've spoken to him on a few occasions about why he feels the way he does, and I have been more than forthcoming with admitting my mistakes and my role in this disaster, but he doesn't want to hear my solution. I'm, I've, I've already decided I'm going to fight for him. I am conflicted on whether I should give him some space and time to cool off and miss me or hurry up and shower him with love with a big grand gesture. How can I show him how much I care? Do you have any suggestions on how I can get him back into my life and how we can be stronger from this? There aren't a lot of occasions in life that call for a marching band, but this is definitely one of them. Ticker tape parades, uh, the big football game, and stalking your ex-boyfriend. Those are basically the three times that you bring a marching band. Knock it the fuck off. You got dumped for whatever the fuck it was that you did. You got dumped no grand romantic gestures no showering him with anything he doesn't for the moment want anything to do with you and you i assume made it clear to him that you don't feel the same way i assume that when he dumped you you let him know that you would rather not be dumped so he has that information and your job now the way you demonstrate to him that you have the emotional maturity of someone he might want to consider being with again in the future is to go the fuck away and leave him the fuck alone. I'm sorry about what you've lost. You've lost him, and you say you loved him, and it was really great together. You've also lost, it sounds like, and it sounds like you're kind of invested in this aspect of your loss too, status. Because you were the power poly couple that everybody in your community or wherever the hell you guys are looked up to, and that is gone because you, by your own admission, you shit the bed. You screwed the pooch. Not every bed can be unshat. Sometimes the mattress has to be replaced. Not every pooch can be unscrewed. Sometimes there's no unscrewing that fucking pooch. That pooch is screwed hard and permanently. And the only person who can determine in this case whether the mattress needs replacing because that bed can't be unshat or that pooch can actually be unscrewed is your ex-boyfriend. And it's up to him whether he sees you again. And I know this is... Hard to hear for some people who are in your position to think there's nothing you can or should do at this moment but go away. But that is really literally the only thing you can do. The only thing you should do is to give him the space that he's asked for. You run at him now. You act on this impulse to smother him with grand romantic gestures to shower him with love. And it's an understandable impulse. And a lot of people in your position have this impulse. But only people without much in the way of an emotional IQ or a high emotional IQ act on this impulse. You can feel it. That doesn't make you a bad person or someone you should never consider getting back with ever again. But if you act on it, you have demonstrated to him that you have no regard for his feelings, no regard for his needs, that you can't take rejection like a grown-up. And it's like the grown-up part that's important in that sentence because we want to be with people 
when we're grownups who can take X, Y, or Z like grownups. And if you want to win him back, take the dumping, take the breakup, take him at his word and take it all like a grownup. And then maybe in time he'll come to see that you are indeed the grownup that he would like to be with. But no marching bands, girl. Girl, you've been dumped. Listen to your call all over again and pretend it's a guy saying all of these things. And you would see what was so creepy and stalky about it. Because creepy stalky tends to leap out at us when it's a dude, when it's a guy's voice. What you're doing and what you're suggesting, of course, doesn't exist in a context of continuous male violence directed at women, but it is indeed creepy stalky behavior. Drop it. Hello, Dan, and the tech savvy at Rosie's, 34-year-old bisexual from Canada. After indulging myself in your podcast, I ventured out into inviting more satisfying sex into my life. This involved my natural inclination to be submissive. I met a dom on Tinder a few weeks ago, and he told me to meet him in a bar. I enjoyed his company, and then he led me back to his place. He was very aggressive and showed me how to suck him off and inflict pain on him. Very enjoyable. Then he had me ride him. So herein lies the problem. I am a small girl, under 5 feet, 125 pounds, not in the best shape. My stamina was not to par. It was evident he was not pleased. So a few days later, he said we could discuss the evening. He told me he needed me to be in better shape. I agreed and looked forward to some actual motivation to do so. Okay, so reflecting throughout the day yesterday, I told him I was not satisfied with sex, and I was used to having oral and felt also felt shamed. He said that I would it would be sexy for him to watch me slowly get stronger and better in bed, but the messages have been minimal since. I told him that since I told him I didn't feel like I had enough incentive to really put effort into getting back into shape on his terms, I felt like he had just given me a gracious public service announcement to form me as a tubby. He didn't make me feel nurtured or safe or even a promise of that. Then he told me he needed me to find a woman for us to be with. I've lost some self-worth because of this and couldn't imagine my being sexy enough for, for this. I went to the gym yesterday and ate entirely clean all day long. My body looks different in the light of this experience. I want to throw in the towel on finding a dom. I want the pain emotionally and physically, but when does the pleasure and praise come in? Fuck this dude. You met an asshole, this guy. You met him. You had one sexual encounter with him. He then felt entitled to give you a report card on your stamina and your performance and to rate your body and then suggested that he might like to be with you, but you're going to have to go find him another woman to be with you both. Fuck him. He was an asshole. Go talk to your partnered vanilla friends and ask them about the assholes that they had to slog through and date before they found the hopefully 0.64, the decent person, the 0.64 they could round the fuck up to one and, and, and partner with and that they love for all of their faults and all of their shortcomings and all the times they may have said hurtful things to each other, hopefully unintentionally and not maliciously or out of just plain straight up Phrase of the day, low emotional IQ, stew fucking pity. This guy is a stupid fucking asshole. Your vanilla friends, I promise you, your vanilla friends who are partnered and your age-ish, they have stories about Tinder dates that they went out with once who then revealed themselves 
at or soon after that interaction to be shitty fucking stupid assholes, just as you have a story about a stupid fucking shitty asshole you met on Tinder and had one encounter with. Don't be devastated by him. Don't succumb to the poison he poured in your ear. There are other guys out there, other guys who, if their partner is getting winded because their partner is a human being and not a fuck robot, might be up for shifting into a new position or moving on to a new activity, maybe one that takes all of the responsibility for the motion off their partner. You might also wind up with somebody who recognizes that it's good for everybody to be in decent shape and get a little exercise, whatever their size, and is happy to go to the gym with you and be active out in the world with you and not just shaming you. Go find one of those guys. They are out there. But what you don't want to do when you have one bad encounter is shut it all down. And it's tempting when you stir in kink with that one encounter to go and shut it all down. It's tempting, and it's sadly sometimes typical for people to succumb to the shame because they associate their desire to reach out and find someone who can meet their kinky needs with the failure of this. And they got what they deserved because they were asking for something that they shouldn't want or desire in the first place. A dom sub thing that involves some pain and consensual, erotic, playful degradation, not actual fucking malicious and or just fucking stupid degradation. So don't succumb to the kink shame either. And keep it in perspective. Talk to your partner friends. They all have stories about guys and women just like this guy. The asshole that you accidentally found yourself in bed with and then out to dinner with who said asshole things. Which told them everything they needed to know about that asshole. Get rid of him. And this guy, he told you everything you need to know about him. Get rid of this asshole. And if you feel like it for your own health your own sense of feeling comfortable in your own skin, go to the goddamn gym. Get some exercise. Be out and active in the world. You will meet more people that way, and you won't get winded as easily or quickly that way. But even if you do fucking get winded, even if you aren't going to the gym, you don't have to put up with this kind of horseshit from anyone. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old 20, gay male who is in a intergenerational relationship with a 58-year-old. Um, we've been together for two years. Uh, I met him as soon as I met him when I graduated high school. Um, we were talking for a couple months before then, and, you know, things were, were basically going great for uh, a year and a half. Um, I, it, it didn't really set down to me that I was with a 58-year-old. It just felt like I was pursuing my desires. But recently I came out to my parents and... Uh, came out to my sister, and, you know, it was kind of a horror show. My sister said she accepted me, but I can tell that when she actually met the guy that she was really uncomfortable, and my parents thought that I had made a huge mistake um, being with, with the guy. And recently it's just been, I've just been having a lot of emotional issues it seemed like I've been ignorant for a year and a half, and just now I'm starting to realize, you know, it's been two years. This is a this is a long-term relationship at this point, and I've just been feeling kind of like a weirdo. And I've even started to feel like he sort of took advantage of me, even though that isn't the case because I pursued him. But you know, just I just feel I just feel really anxious and weird and. Yeah, I'm so confused. I don't even know what the question is. 
what you wanted and what felt right to you at 20, you now know at 22, isn't what you want any longer and isn't right for you anymore. And that's all you have to go and say to him. And really, you need to say that to yourself and embrace it. It is tempting in a case like this with such a large age disparity when it, quote unquote, doesn't work out to attempt to pin the blame on the obvious difference and for your sister and your parents, the troubling difference, the age difference. You could have met somebody when you were 20 who was 21, who'd been out for six years and you were just coming out and that person took advantage of your naivete and the fact that you were just coming out and they were controlling and manipulative and you would be in the same place, but then you wouldn't be able to pin the blame on the age difference. You wouldn't be able to describe to his age, his faults. You say you're in a long-term relationship and 24 months is pretty decent, a good go. 24 months, two years, long, low end of longish term. You know, when you've been in a relationship for 20 years, two years looks like the low end of a longish term relationship. So you were dating this guy. You were getting to know this guy. You were figuring out if he's who you wanted to spend the rest of his life with. And you realize in those 24 months that no, no, he's not who you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so now it's time to shake hands and part ways. And maybe it was age. Maybe you can describe everything about the relationship that didn't work to the age difference. And there are definitely older folks out there who can't get people their own age or people even close to their own age to date them because people their own age have enough life experience and finely tuned bullshit detectors at that point that they can see through their shit might be that maybe he preyed on you. Maybe he dated you because no one else would date him. But again, as you said, you pursued him. You went after him. You landed him, but maybe he was content to be landed by you because guys in their thirties and forties and fifties aren't buying whatever he's selling because they can see through it. They know better. They can spot his bullshit in a way that you at 20 couldn't spot his bullshit. Or maybe there's no one to blame here and no need to assign blame. Maybe you guys came together for a couple of years and for the first 12 or 16 months or 18 months, it was good. And then the wheels started to come off and now you can part ways because you're not nailed to the floor and you weren't surgically attached to him in any way. You are free to go and you don't have to look back over the last two years and trash all of it. Even if there's some faults in him that queered this deal. You don't have to look back over everything that you experienced with him over the last two years and shit on it to justify leaving. You can just say, this isn't working for me now. This isn't what I want anymore. Bye. Hi, Dan. So I have a new boyfriend and we're really enjoying getting to know each other. He's been really great at communicating in the bedroom, which is something that I've consistently struggled with. So it's been really great because I feel much more comfortable talking to him because he asks me the questions, what do I want and what do I need? The problem is that sometimes I just draw a blank. If he asks me what my fantasies are, I don't know. And if he asks me what I want him to do next to me, I don't know. And I think part of it is the anxiety that's causing me to draw a blank, but I've been having sex for 11 years and I feel like I don't know what I want in my sex life. So my question to you is, 
how can I develop that sexual identity and how can I come up with ideas of fun and exciting and new things that we can do together? My sex life has been pretty vanilla and I'm not opposed to doing things outside of my comfort zone. It's just, I don't even know how to come up with these ideas. People say they want to find themselves in bed with sexually selfless partners, partners who just want to give them pleasure, are just concerned about their pleasure, want to know what their kinks are, want to meet their needs, want to do it the way they want to do it. And years ago in Savage Love, someone wrote in to the column to say that their sex life was dead because they were both so concerned with the other's pleasure that neither would act, neither would take, neither could start anything because they were just both laying in there in bed saying, well, what do you want to do? What would make you feel good? And neither felt entitled just to do something. And so their sex life went entirely off the rails. And here you are, caller. You have a very, sounds like a very giving sex partner who is concerned about your pleasure. And right now, you don't have a list of kinks that you want to explore. You don't have a list of activities that are the things that you desperately want to do or experience. But you're up for doing the shit that he wants to do. So he needs to... Be selfish with your consent and with your permission. He needs to lead. He needs to take pleasure from you. And hopefully along the way, on that ride with him, on your sexual journey with him, the stuff that really works for you will spark and awaken in you some new kink, some other sexual thing that you might want to experience, something building on the things that he's bringing to the bedroom or the table or the car or wherever you're fucking, that you can throw out there, but he's going to have to get selfish and he needs to be a little unselfconscious about being selfish. There's actually a study out there that backs me up on this by Haley Levesque and Corey Peterson. They studied sexual selfishness in bed. And what they found was people who were sexually selfish were better lays and not just they were getting more pleasure out of it. Their partners were getting more pleasure out of that, out of being with somebody who is taking pleasure from them not running roughshod over their desires, not traumatizing them, not uh, triggering them, not treating them like a human fleshlight or an object, but really going for it. And in a good and decent and loving way, the the study was of long-term partners, committed relationships. And what they found, and I'm quoting from the study here, we found that as a partner's sexual self-focus decreased, the less selfish someone was or became, their partner's satisfaction decreased. So the people who had sexually selfish partners were more satisfied. We're having better sex themselves. Not just the selfish had better sex. The people with the selfish had better sex. Back to uh, quoting from the study, you would think it would be the exact opposite with a partner being more attentive to the other partner's needs, but that's not what we found. It's sort of counterintuitive. All that said, standard advice for someone in your predicament, watch some porn, masturbate, think about what you turns you on as you move through the day, expose yourself to erotica if porn ain't your thing, if watching dirty movies doesn't do it for you, get online and read a bunch of erotica, read widely and see what clicks for you and maybe that'll unlock it too. Or you can take my advice and encourage your boyfriend to go where he wants to go, baby steps all along the way to bring you along and to see what that doesn't spark for you. Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old gay male calling from the New York City area, and I have been in a uh, long-distance relationship for about a year. 
uh, with my boyfriend, and he's a great guy. We have a lot of fun together. Um, he, you know, he's very attractive. We're very trusting. I think one thing that I have noticed um, is in terms of our sexual chemistry, it's definitely there for him, but I don't feel it's there for me. Um, every time I see him, we see each other about every three weeks. We have, you know, we have sex, but I realize that usually after the first time we have it. And if I'm there for like three or four days, that's really all that I want. And even sometimes when we're lying in bed, he initiates and I really don't want to have sex. And I really think that in terms of in terms of him just turning me on, he just really doesn't do it for me. Um, I still think he's an attractive guy, but I guess what I'm asking is, is it possible for me to think he is a good looking guy, but just not have that sexual attraction? I am a very sexual person. I find a lot of people attractive and, you know, I'm still kind of fantasizing about other people and I've had other relationships where, you know, we've had, you know, sex twice or three times a day. Um, but I just don't see that really happening with him, but I am trying and I'm trying to make suggestions into what we can do in terms of, um, you know, he's a little hardcore, so I'm asking him to be a little softer and a little more sensual, but um, still not really working. So I'm going to see him this coming weekend, and I just want to know if you have any tips or suggestions um, as far as what I can do. So the big weekend's coming up. Yes. Yes, it is. Why are you going? Why haven't you broken up with this guy? If the sex doesn't work, and it is, I believe... I infer based on what you said. Is this a monogamous relationship that you two are endeavoring? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. We're one hundred percent monogamous. Sexual compatibility is pretty important in a sexually exclusive relationship, and you are allowed to encourage to uh, prioritize it. So, if you're attempting monogamy and the sex doesn't work, and you've given it the college try for a year now, yeah, it's going. Yeah, it goes. It goes back and forth, and. All right. So just let me give you an example. So the last, um, a month ago, uh, we hadn't seen each other for four weeks. So I think the sexual tension definitely built up a lot mm -hmm. and we were having sex and we we're going for it. And it just it felt really good. And I said, wow, I said, this is what it, this is what it should be like. And I was very, very close to telling him I loved him just because of how intense the moment was. And right as I was getting ready to tell him I loved him, he said, pound it in me. And that really, I think that was just a huge turnoff there. It was, wait, we, wait. I know. Why is that a turnoff? What, what, what's, what's, what about pounded in me can't be coupled with, <laughs> I'm going to pound it in you, I fucking love you, and now I'm going to pound it in you so hard. I don't see why those two things don't necessarily go together. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But I know that, I think I'm definitely a more like a more sensual, like a more sensual person. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we've definitely talked about it. And I know he's a little more hardcore. He's, he's a little more rough and I can, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. um, but but do you lose your me, erection when he says pounded in me or he starts getting, and is the roughness physical or is the roughness just attitudinal and rhetorical? Yeah, it's more, yeah, it's more vocal. Like it's the dirty talk that he enjoys, you find off-putting. 
Yes. Have you yeah. said that to him? Um, no. All right, then no. I take it, it all back. You don't have to break up with him. You haven't actually given it a college <laughs> try. You haven't told him what's not working for you. So he can't adjust. Maybe this kind of rough, porny, dirty talk has worked with everyone else he's ever been with. Maybe it works for him and, or maybe just carved a groove into him. And maybe he's saying these things because he thinks you want to hear them like his other sex partners in the past have, but you can't know any of that. If you won't risk saying, look, it throws me out of the moment. When you say pound it in me, I will pound it in you. I was pounding it in you. But the minute you put that label on it, it kind of didn't work for me anymore. Like I want to pound you without you saying, telling me to. And you know, I, you know, and maybe you like it to be a little bit more sensuous and a slower build up to that kind of intensity rather than just being ordered to zero to 60 yourself into that kind of intensity. So you can still get there, but he can't know what needs to change to keep you if you won't risk telling him. Yeah, no, no. In the, in the past, like when it was, when it was hardcore, like he, he was into like, he was into slapping and, and things like that. And I told him, I was like, no, I was like, that's, that's too much. I can't take that. I can't take that. Uh, can't Cause sometimes that. we would. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would come out, I come out after sex and I was like, no, I just kind of feel a little broken and bruised. Like it just, it just wasn't good. It wasn't the feeling I was looking for. So I did tell him that and he did respond really, really positively um, to that. Well, so that has, that has part. kind of stuff. It doesn't, yeah. if what you need from him, is a different script that, you know, a lot of people enjoy being verbal during sex and it's a really important part of the turn on for them. And there are some people who, if there's not verbal play during sex, they literally can't get off. They, they need their ears engaged too. And you may be able to, if you're honest with him about the pound me stuff, the sort of hardcore porny drummer recon style, semi degrading, dehumanizing dirty talk, that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Let's let's find our own way to a different kind of dirty talk that works for us both. And, you know, it yeah. may be that you're pruning so much from his, you know, sexual expression and, and what, you know, the places where he finds sexual fulfillment that he may decide that you're not who he wants to be with. But yeah. it could be that he's performing this for you. How old are you guys? Uh, 30, I'm 32 and he... He's going to be 34. Okay. There are a lot of people out there who are a lot of gay men that I've encountered who, you know, that I've had sex with that I dated who out of the gate, out of habit, uh, would just sound like cheap, stupid porn cliches. Yeah. It was like porn. Yep. Porn stuff. Yep. Things and that you okay. needed yep. to, to shake them to get them to knock it off and to, to be in the moment rather than recreating moments that they watched in X tube when they were, younger or on VHS porn tapes in my case, when they were younger. <laughs> no, I did. No, I definitely did some VHS in my day too. So no, I did. <laughs> but do you yeah, like, him? do you like, him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really, I really, really do. I okay, really, you're really guaranteed like him. to lose this guy that you really, really like if you won't risk leveling with him about the shit going on in sex, that is such a turnoff for you. It's destroying your sexual connection. And sorry, sexual connection, crucial in a sexually exclusive relationship. Sexual compatibility, also important, very important, and ought to be prioritized. But it can also be achieved, sexual compatibility. And you already achieved it on one score, which was the slapping and the physical violence, which is gone and it doesn't sound like he misses it. Right? No, no, and no. And you may be able to achieve it on the cliche 
deep fried porn, dirty talk too. But you got to risk saying it. And draw him out. Like when you say this doesn't work for me, say, is this really important to you? Is, is this kind of like rough and tumble dirty talk uh, something that you really need to get off? Is it part of who you are sexually? And is there yeah. a way that we can recreate our own kind of dirty talk that works for you on that kind of rough and tumble level without it throwing me? Because it just sounds like a Jeff Stryker VHS tape that somebody found in a resale shop somewhere. Yeah, why haven't? Yeah, I, I have no idea. How come I just haven't been that direct with them? Be direct. Enjoy your weekend. How long has it been since you've seen him? Uh, two weeks. Okay, pound the shit out of him, but don't don't say it like that. <laughs> Have fun, (laughs) connect sexually, and be honest with him. Talk with him about it. This is a real real problem for me, and it's really affecting my ability to connect sexually with you. And if he likes you, too, and likes you as much as you like him, I'm sure you guys can work it out. And I think the most important thing is creating your own script, creating your own narrative, having your own dialogue that's about who he is and who you are, not about who guys in porn were that he imprinted on. No, that makes so much sense. Like he might be used to that. And I'm also used to something else as well. So I'm, I'm just bringing what I know and he's bringing what he knows. Exactly. Yeah. People don't snap together. You have to carve grooves into each other until you fit together. Yeah. And that takes action and intentionality and dialogue. That doesn't just happen all on its own. Okay. Good luck. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I am a 20-something female, straight, and my question is, I broke up with my high school sweetheart a year and a half ago. We split because of basically his lies. He lied to me mostly about just like anything and everything. I dealt with it for six years, and finally just enough was enough. And I kicked him out. He left. I haven't spoken to him. I haven't seen him barely. And I never felt like I really got closure from it. But I don't know how to, like, really reach out to him and tell him really how I felt about everything or even if he wants to hear it and there are some days when I feel like just a terrible shitty person for the way that I broke up with him and other days I feel like it was the best possible thing that we could have done just cutting the ties and never speaking to each other again I don't know it's just it's really hard to play out in my head and I've gone over every single scenario that I can think of but I just really need like a second opinion that it was the right thing to do not breaking up with him but not having any kind of contact or talking to each other afterwards we were each other's first love and everything so I just I don't know really what to what to say or do sometimes you don't have to feel bad about breaking up with someone And you don't have to continue to see or indulge someone that you've broken up with. You're allowed to write this person out of your life, to escort this person out of your life. And to do so, if you need to, permanently. If you want this person out of your life forever, you have an absolute right to break up with that person, to move away from that person, to block that person on all the social media torture implements that are now available to us online. 
absolute right. So you do not have to feel bad about this. You do not have to feel bad about dumbing a guy who lied to you and who you're happier without. So be at peace with the decision that you've made. And don't let him or anyone else guilt trip you about it. Hey, Dan. I am a bisexual male calling from Midwest area. And I sort of had a question about bisexuality. Um, I'm a recent college graduate moving to the L.A. area, um, and I've tried several dating profiles, but for some reason I'm having no luck with women. And sometimes I get down on myself feeling like I have to convince women that I actually am bi and that I'm not secretly gay. And I'm just sort of struggling with how to approach women and tell them hey, I am bisexual. If I'm signing up for dating apps like Tinder or OkCupid or Bumble, you know, sort of how to go about putting that in my profile or is putting it in my profile too much? Um, is it coming on too strong for women? So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. You know, are women even sort of into that thing? In a few weeks, I'll be moving to the L.A. area, which I know is a lot more open-minded a lot more open-minded people, so hopefully that'll bring more success for the dating pool, but I kind of just want to get your thoughts on that. Joining me by phone to help tackle this one, Zachary Zane is a Boston writer whose work focuses on bisexuality, gender, identity, politics, and relationships. He currently contributes to the Huffington Post, Cosmopolitan, Bisexual.org, and Pride.com. Hey, Zach, so you recently wrote up, before we get to the particulars of this question, you recently wrote up the results of a, a new study from Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health that touches on this very subject about being a bi guy in relationships with women and the difficulties there. Can you can you sum up that study for us before we get to the question? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Dr. Eric Scrimshaw of Columbia conducted a qualitative study where he interviewed 203 closet bisexual men uh, to further explore the reasons why so many so many bisexual men are afraid of coming out to their female partners. And what the research revealed was that most bisexual men weren't confused about being bi. Uh, that wasn't the issue why they weren't coming out. They actually feared the stigma from their female partners. They feared that they wouldn't date them, that they wouldn't love them, that they would out them, um, various things. And because of that, that was actually the reason why people, uh, why, why male partners were not coming out to, to their female partners. And the caller's question kind of goes to that because his experience with revealing that he's bi is that he's not getting any dates from women and that the women that he does interact with who get in touch with him or he gets in touch with via online dating sites or apps, he can't convince them that he's actually bi and not really secretly gay. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem for for bi guys who want to date women. I have bi male friends here in Seattle who, who report the same thing. It's a lot easier for them just to wind up sleeping exclusively with men than with women because women, so many straight women have this hang up, which is crazy because so many straight women are themselves at least had a reflexible and many straight identified women are themselves bisexual. It seems crazy. Absolutely. I really think it is crazy. And I've also noticed one thing where if you have any hesitation in your voice, for example, when I first started identifying as bi, I would say, Oh, I, I think I'm bi or I'm pretty sure I'm bi. And they will use that to kind of jump on you and then to claim you're actually closeted or just gay. So you really need to, when you come out and say it, to say it very confidently, which is kind of obnoxious because a straight man, of course, doesn't have to come out confidently. Neither does 
a gay man, you're going to assume that he's gay, but for bisexual, if you show any hesitation or any little bit of confusion, people will automatically use that as an excuse to dismiss your sexuality and identity. That's a really interesting observation, and I've never heard anyone make it before. But uh, but I think there's really something there, because if you hesitate when you're saying it, it makes it sound like the first shoe you're dropping. Mm -hmm. And there might be another shoe coming, like, yeah, I think I might be by. It makes it sort of up in the air. I'm still assessing, and I'm not exactly sure yet, and we'll see where I land in the end. And that kind of presentation might instill that fear, not to blame the victims, but it might instill that fear. Exactly. And it's a shame that that's the case. But I realized that once I started like proudly identifying as bisexual, I was able to date more heterosexual women. And that said, just people were more likely to believe me from the get go. So if your presentation wasn't, I'm a little bit confused myself, perhaps, if that wasn't there in the tone, people were less likely to have that reaction. Exactly. So there's some good advice for the caller. Any other advice for the caller on whether he's going to have an easier time of it in L.A. than he's had in the Midwest? I think in general, uh, when you're in a major liberal city like New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco, people tend to be more open to sexual fluidity, fluidity and queerness in general. So I would assume that he would have better luck in L.A. than in the Midwest. He asked whether he should reveal being by in dating apps or if that's too forward or upfront or too sexualizing is that something you would advise a bi guy to do just buy in the app on the site in the profile yeah the short answer is yes and um it's true i think less women will want to go on dates with you if you mention your bi from the get-go but i think there are a couple of reasons to disclose this uh immediately on dating sites and the first one is you don't want to recloset yourself forever how long and you won't be able to enjoy yourself on the date or be honest um, if you're constantly thinking, does she know I'm by? What will she think? Will she reject me? You're not going to be able to have a real first date. When will I tell her? Exactly. Exactly. When should I bring it up? And then what if you do tell her and she's not into it and then you feel terrible and you feel like you wasted your time? So I think it's good to avoid the situation completely. If I can jump in for a second, that that ties into my my magic sorting hat theory of telling people truths about yourself, not to equate bisexuality with mm-hmm. kink or bisexuality with being HIV positive or anything else. But often when you tell someone that one thing about yourself, you're telling them one thing and their reaction tells you everything you need to know about them. You tell them you're bi and they can't deal and they run. Well, that told you everything you needed to know about that person. Or if you tell them you're pause and they're uh, HIV phobic and crazy and can't be talked down and, and are unreasonable and irrational, mm-hmm. well, you don't want to be with that person anyway. Absolutely. And that's actually what's the second thing I was going to say. I really think it is a great silver lining and a great filter of character. You're going to know from the beginning if they're more open-minded and you can kind of use it as a proxy for their personality. And then also you'll start attracting more queer women when you, when you put uh, bisexual on your dating app uh, first. And since I've actually come out as bisexual, I haven't seriously dated a straight woman. I've been on a few dates. That's that it's not impossible, but the women I dated have identified as bisexual and actually lesbians. <laughs> it's just frankly a lot easier when both you and she are queer, and right off the bat, you understand what each other. You understand each other's sexuality more, identity more. You're not going to dismiss the other person. Well, I don't think that bisexuals should be limited to dating only other bisexuals. But I've often noted and been gotten into trouble for noting. That when bisexuals, you know, jump on Tumblr to complain about how awful the world is to them and there's biphobia out there, biracia, and they're awful and I call it out and I don't have any, I, I don't engage in it myself anymore or anything else. But sometimes, you know, you read these posts where, oh, gay people are so mean, they won't date me and they're shitty and they're biphobic and straight people are so mean and they won't date me and they're shitty and biphobic. And then 
silence. And I always read that and go, but but in that silence, like, why are you dating other bisexuals? Not, not that you should be limited to it, and not that gay people shouldn't be open to dating bi people, and straight people shouldn't be open to dating and being with bi people. But in the, the bitching about how awful and unfair mm-hmm. everyone is, it's never sort of thrown out there that, so I date bi people, or I'm open to dating bi people, or I'm, thank God I'm with a bi person. It's just like bi people often don't exist in these posts by bisexuals complaining about the way they're treated in the dating market. It's a kind of a form of bi erasure itself. First of all, I agree with that. But I just want to say, of course, you. I didn't want to get seen like you should only date bisexual women. And I don't think so either, just to be clear. But mm-hmm. there are three times as many bisexual people out there as there are lesbians and gays. And so even if you limited yourself to only dating other bisexuals, you have a much bigger dating pool if you were looking for. Or hard to find. That's the truth. <laughs> I just feel like there are more, you know, there are more like spaces to meet gay men, uh, to meet straight women. And they're just kind of, we don't have the same That's community true. as the gay community right now. So there are just not really many by events. There are no by clubs. There are no, um, there's, there's no real by scene. And I don't want to get attacked for that. Of course, there is a by scene, but it's not nearly as large. Um, as the gay and lesbian scene or gay and straight woman scene. So because of that, we often feel like uh, our only options are straight women and gay men. When of course that is not the truth. And if you do, I think actually once you start identifying as bisexual, you will end up meeting more and more bisexual people who you can then potentially date. I agree. (laughs) So circling back, in addition to not being in any way equivocal about it, not hesitating, not, I think I might be bi, just so you know, this is maybe something up with me. Not using that mm-hmm. tone, not instilling that kind of doubt. Any other advice for how to roll this out? Let's say he meets somebody not through a dating app. He just like runs into somebody and they end up having one of those impromptu magic of New York or magic of LA kind mm-hmm. of dates that just kind of happens. And so you didn't have that moment of pre-disclosure on your profile. Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm, interject mm-hmm. it? How do you, how do you, how do you bring it up? How do you say it at that time in a way that's confident I mean, and sexy? I think there's no necessarily right and wrong way to say it. I will say don't necessarily make it a huge deal. And I understand your sexuality and your identity is a huge deal, but you don't need to preface it by saying, I have something really important I need to tell you because you, you don't have cancer. You just like multiple <laughs> genders and kind of the less of a deal you make it, the less of a deal it will become. Um, I use that so formulation that... all the time. Don't roll it out like <laughs> cancer. Don't, because people will do that when it comes to their poly or they're in an open marriage or they they have some, you know, very important to them kinks or they're bi or they're pos. They will clear mm-hmm. their throat and they will start to have this conversation where it, you know, you roll you tell them about it like it's leukemia. They're going to react like it's leukemia. Exactly. I think that's important. Um, I've kind of, Tried, tried various ways of kind of mentioning it when you meet someone in real life, referencing kind of uh, past male partners. But when you kind of do that subtly, I feel like it, it's, you're just not going to be able to slide that in there without any question. So it kind of doesn't actually work. But I think just being open, honest, direct, not having any shame, not making it a huge deal and not being... And being very confident in the way you say it is the best way to, to make that happen. It, it, it's or the best way to, I guess, uh, disclose. But w- one thing that will happen, and this is kind of a shame, especially on first dates or things like that, is the um, conversation will then become about you and just 
be prepared for that. And sometimes it really feels like an interrogation, which is not necessarily what you want on a first date. And these people aren't doing it. They're not even necessarily anything saying anything nasty. They're just genuinely so interested and really don't know uh, that they just ask question after question after question. And sometimes about personal things that you don't necessarily want to get into. So that's something that you have to, that, 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 that just is going to happen and mm. you'll figure out how you deal with it. So, I'm not sure what else to say with that. Have you ever told a woman that you were bi and she's looked at you and said, me too. And it was a complete non-issue and you got on with bowling or dining or whatever else you were out on a date doing. There was this woman at work when I used to work at Mass General Hospital who actually was reading one of my articles at work and not didn't realize that it was me. Um, and I had no idea that she was bi. And at work, I didn't necessarily say things to people. My friends knew, but I was dating a woman at the time. And because I didn't really discuss my sexual or dating um, history with, you know, my coworkers, it wasn't really an issue. But she came into my office crying, being like, Zach, I didn't realize, A, you wrote this stuff about bisexuality, B, I'm bi. And then we actually dated for a couple of months. So um, I had no idea she was bi. She had no idea I was bi. And we happened to be in the same office, which was pretty <laughs> interesting. Zachary Zane, Boston-based writer whose work focused on bisexuality, gender, identity, politics, and relationships. Check him out at the Huffington Post Cosmopolitan, bisexual.org, and pride.com. Thanks for jumping on the phone today, Zach. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey, Dan. 26-year-old gay male living in the Southwest. Recently, uh, about six months ago, I ended a three-year relationship with my fiance. It was our second time together. Uh, things were pretty good, uh, but ultimately just didn't work out for different reasons on both sides. Um, the reason for my call is that uh, now that it is going on half a year since that uh, breakup, I'm trying to move forward with my life and get back out into the dating scene. But from what I can tell, it seems like pretty much any guy who checks out my profile, uh, sends me a message or what have you, just wants a hookup. I've done all the right things, uh, no mixed signals, no shirtless pics, but I really can't go five minutes without a cockpit in my inbox, which... No one's really complaining, but not really um, my goal in life. My friends tell me that dating isn't about romance anymore, at least not in the gay world, that I should just go out and find a friends with benefits that I can hang out with outside of the bedroom and see what happens. Personally, that sounds like psychobabble and a excuse to hook up and hope for the best. So I guess my question for you, Dan, is this instant gratification that Grindr has perpetuated the gay community into, is that something that I should just accept and do what my friends say, find a friends with benefits, or did I just get lucky that with my ex, which was originally a hookup, I guess, that it developed into a pretty good relationship? Perhaps Grindr accelerated the pace at which gay guys can hook up, but this is nothing new. Gay guys hooking up, gay guys having one-night stands. Back before Grindr, they used to call it tricking. Then they started calling it hooking up. And, you know, we had fuck buddies. Straight people had friends with benefits. And straight people, you know, you want to say this is like what the gay world is like. The straight world is a lot like this these days with 
Tinder hookups. Straight people are online too. Straight people are having a lot of one night stands too. Straight people are swapping boob and dick pics too. It's not just for gays anymore, not that it really ever was. But it is kind of true that most gay relationships seem to have had their start in a hookup. Your last relationship, the relationship that I am in right now, which predates Grinder and the internet was a one-night stand. We, we met in a bar. I was drunk. He was high. We had a one-night stand. Then we had another one. Then we had another one. Then we had another one. Then we had a kid. 20 years later, we're still fucking together. A lot of really good and decent lasting relationships have their start that way. I think you're whining. I'm going to diagnose this as a bad case of the whines because the guys who are sending you dick pics, you are allowed to say back to them, thanks for the dick, nice dick, but you know what I'm looking for is romance maybe a date before a hookup maybe a couple of dates and then they can opt in or opt out i promise you some of the guys sending you dick pics are doing that because they think that's what's expected of them and it is for the most part they think that's how you get a boyfriend and it is how you get a boyfriend in almost all cases but you're allowed to counter with nice dick this is what i want the 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 price of admission to ever get to see my dick is dinner and we'll go halves you don't have to buy me dinner But I want to hang out a little bit with the next person I crawl into bed with before I crawl into bed with them. You're allowed to say that. Nothing about all those dick pics in your inbox prevent you from speaking up and asking for what you want. And I promise you, it will work. There are some guys who want what you want. But so long as you're just whining and being passive and laying back and not putting it out there and just having a shirt on in your grinder pick ain't enough. Guys don't see shirts and grinder pics and think, oh, that's a dinner and a movie guy. You got to say I'm a dinner and a movie guy for guys to get that. But if you say it, you will weed out the guys who don't want that, who just want to get right to your dick, and you will find the guys who are up for that. They're out there. You're out there. You're not the only one like you out there. Hi, Dan. I have been dating a girl for two or so years, two and a half about, and when we first met, we were... We called ourselves soulmates, and I loved her so much, and I still do. But I was polyamorous, uh, was, and she is monogamous. And so for most of the two and a half years, I was monogamous for her, with the hopes that someday I might get an open relationship of some sorts. And um, that hurt me a lot. There were times when I was walking down the street to work, And I almost started crying because I was surrounded by so many people that I wanted to interact with and get to know. And uh, I don't know, fuck. And it was excruciating. And for that, and for a number of other reasons, that she, she made some really fucking huge mistakes that hurt me a lot. And a few weeks ago, we opened up our relationship. But, um, I have been hurt so much that I don't think I have any sexual desire anymore. And right now, uh, for the past like four hours, she's been fucking my brother and that's fine. And I wouldn't have any problem with that, but I'm just so jealous of the both of them. Most of my personality was centered around just wanting to be so overly sexual for most of my teenagehood. And I'm a little bit of a nerd. I'm a little bit awkward. So I really never got to, And she was the first person that I ever fucked, and thus far pretty much the only. And I'm just... (sighs) I don't know what to do. I think my personality 
has been torn to shreds, but I still love her. And it's not like leaving her will make things better. I don't know what to do. I don't think I can live anymore. There's no way out. There's no way back. Even if I were to leave her and just go with other people, I don't think I ever could even fuck them. I've just been so hurt so much. I don't know what I'm going to do, Dan. I'd like to know first how you're doing. You sounded super upset when you recorded your question. Um, I am okay, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Uh, I, I'm not good at all, and I, I can be happy, but I really have not been okay for, let's be honest, for so months at this point. But as of now, I am better. Okay. It sounds like you've not been okay for several months because your first and, you know, a very important relationship, your first relationship, is ending, is it not? Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of the reality that I have to come to realize because we both love each other and we both want to try and find a way to stay together, but it just is difficult. Difficult because you're not on the same page about relationship structure, because you're poly, she's mono, but fucking your brother? It's primarily because I've been hurt so much at this point. By her? I used to be very, very polyamorous, and she used to want complete exclusivity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I guess, as I said in the call, that, that just ended up with me being very, very hurt for a long time. And now I honestly, truly believe that I have some form of PTSD. And um, as such, no, it's no, no. now... Wait, wait, wait. More... Slow down. wait, slow down right there. You have a form of PTSD from... What from her actions from from the the torment of seeing all these other people around and knowing you can't have sex with them because you're with her? What what exactly is the source of your trauma? I, I, it runs the whole gamut. It was that I wanted to be Polly and that I wasn't being and that hurt. It was that she did some things that hurt me, mm-hmm. um, like for example, and a very long time the relationship was set up. I think. Starting January, she wanted to try to become polyamorous for me. Mm-hmm. And as a result, she decided, uh, or she wanted to try to, to get us in a polyamorous relationship for me. And she decided that she was going to go off and start fucking other people to get a better experience in poly and to try and become more open to me doing that. Mm-hmm. But that lasted until June. And so it was, I mean, it was a nice gesture and I did love the stories and so on and so forth, but it it also was painful to know that she was getting all of the action and all of the stuff that I ever wanted. And I was still stuck in the dog cage, more or less. Why were you not allowed to sleep with other people at that stage? Because she wasn't okay with that. It would hurt her. You need to break up with her. This is not a good relationship for you if you're in this much pain, so much pain that you want to... I'm sorry, I don't want to gainsay your self-diagnosis of PTSD, but round it up to PTSD, which I don't think you have. I just think this has been very painful and you're reeling, which is not the same thing as having post-traumatic stress disorder. You need to get the fuck out of this relationship. It's not making you happy. And I, I think you should get a counselor or get a therapist and talk about what you want in a relationship and what your expectations are and your hopes are and whether those are realistic. Because we do have to be realistic about our expectations. Not everybody gets everything that they want. No, Actually, let me amend that. No one gets everything that they want. Right? 
you're going to see people your whole life that you would like to have sex with. And it's not possible, not because you're in a monogamous relationship, but because that person might not be available. That person might not be attracted to you. That person might not, you know, be sexual orientation compatible with you or whatever else it might be. I've wanted to sleep with Brad Pitt basically my entire adult life. It hasn't happened. It'll never happen. And I can chalk that up to, you know, wistful longing and kind of wallow in that wistful longing and enjoy it a little bit where I can be angry and upset and depressed. And that's, that's not rational to be angry and upset and depressed about that. You know, all the people that you saw out there that you couldn't sleep with when you were with her, it wasn't just don't be with her and you can sleep with them or she's poly and you can sleep with them. There's also their agency that has to be taken into consideration there and whether or not they want to be slept with. And that's not a given. And of course, uh, I understand that. Um, uh, and to just finish up on this one point, I, I was primarily uh, assuming that they were going to be entirely consensual. And I also wouldn't have been hurt if, the, if, it wasn't, uh, if they weren't available, for example. I, I wasn't accusing you of having an interest in non-consensual sex. Oh, Far, I not at all, not at all. But unfortunately, uh, you, you said to break up with her. And well, at this point, I would if it only were that simple. Because probably much to your chagrin, I stayed in this relationship for about five months more than I should have. And at this point, and this is, I probably should have explained where I got the PTSD from. I have just been hurt so much that, well, I used to be polyamorous and I, a, a large part of my personality used to be built around being overly sexual and just doing a bunch of stuff like that. But at this point, I have now been hurt so much that I don't hold sexual desires for anybody. Right. And you know why? And that's kind of the part. Because why? you're still in this fucking relationship. That is causing you pain, that is shutting you down emotionally and sexually. And you used to be, you say, you used to be a much more sexual and open person. And yet you also said that this is the person, your first partner that you lost your virginity to. Correct? Mm -hmm. So yeah. there was desire and sometimes there was frustrated desire. And it sounds like you take frustrated desire a little too much to heart. Most desires are frustrated because most of our desires uh, we're probably not going to be able to fulfill. We're lucky if we can find a partner or a group of partners who can fill most of our desires or a good chunk of them, a nice, a nice sizable percentage of them. But most of our desires, if not the majority of our desires, are going to be frustrated over the course of our life. But you were with this person. You, you were pretty open sexually. You, you were you know, default setting, sexually adventurous. You were interested in polyamorous relationships and being with her has been so painful, and it sounds like there's a real power imbalance in this relationship if she's allowed to fuck other people, but you're not because she's okay with... We she did open a relationship, though, two or so months ago, and I did have my chances to be with other people, but at this point... But I, you don't want to be with other people because you're so fucking miserable in the relationship that you're in yeah. now that it's extinguishing your desire for anyone and anything. So get the fuck out of this relationship. You're, it doesn't sound like you're that old. It, particularly if this is your first I'm relationship. Funny. Okay, you're 20 fucking years old. Stop wallowing. Break the fuck up. Have your sad. Have your feels. Journal about it. <laughs> go to the gym. Go for a bike ride. Eat a bunch of ice cream. Hang out with friends. Even if you have to say to them, like, look, I just got dumped or I just dumped somebody. I'm super sad. Can we please hang out so I'm not obsessing about it? Like, make yourself vulnerable to people. And oftentimes people will then step up and just get the fuck out of this world. You're 20 years old. How long have you been together? Two and a half years. Okay. So and I you, also should say that she moved in with my family uh, to escape her abusive mother. 
Oh, that's sad. I'm sad for her. I'm glad, I'm glad your family was there for her. That doesn't mean you have to be with her for the rest of your life. And okay. who do you know? Who do you know who's over 30 who is with the person they were dating when they were a minor? And you're right. You have to put your expectations in perspective. You have to put this relationship in perspective. The intensity of the emotions that you're experiencing, you need to put those in perspective. And if you can do that, and that's really an act of will on your part, if you can force yourself to put everything into perspective, I promise you, the horniness will come back, your desire will come back, and you'll get back out there and you'll meet other people who aren't fucking your brother. All right. Thank you, Dan. I, I guess I needed to hear that. End it. Promise me you're going to end it. I will. And moreover, I guess I'll move out so that I can have some breathing room, too, rather than being stuck in the environment uh, and more specifically with the same people that kind of caused the problem. Absolutely. Move the fuck out. Break the fuck up. Get the fuck over it. And get the fuck over yourself. And I say that as someone who has to struggle to get the fuck over himself every day. I have to get over myself every goddamn day. We all do. But don't call it PTSD. It's just heartbreak. And everybody's had it. And, you know, when you're in the throes of it, it is such an intense and shattering feeling. You feel like you've been tossed into a vat of acid and you feel like you will never recover from the trauma of it. And it's just not true. Look around your life. You will find dozens of people who've been right where you, hundreds of people have been right where you're at emotionally at this moment who are fine, who got through it because what you're going through is common. All right. Not extraordinary. Common. Doesn't mean it's not intensely felt. It is. I'm not denying you the feels you're feeling. But you will come through it. Almost all people do. All right, then. I will do that. Thank you, Dan. Good luck. Uh, hi, Dan. I'm calling because I found out that somebody had uh, tried to r- roofied and tried to rape my sister. And luckily, she was with friends, and so who were able to keep her safe. But then I found out about it uh, a few days after it happened, and you know, because she sort of was trying to keep it together, and so I was picking her for the airport, and she broke down. She was worried that uh, you know her husband would be would like, even though he was you know supportive, that would undermine trust in her. And I basically told her that if he has some sort of problem with it, he needs to fucking get over it because it's not you know. And yeah, I tried to support her in every way. I guess, um, I guess, uh, and then my mom also knew a lot more. I guess about what to say when when she told her. Um, and then in, in the process of that conversation, I found out. But uh, you know, I found out that you know my aunt, who I really respect, had been and like look up to had been uh, raped when she was in medical school. Uh, and I, the weird, I I feel weird making this about this, but like. So now, like for the past two days, like I don't know how to talk to my girlfriend about this, but I just don't want to have sex. And it's, I feel rashly, I know that these are two different things. And like, there's like, you know, obviously the magic ingredient consents, but like, I just feel kind of like disgusted by my own desires. And like, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how I feel like, so I guess I don't know. How I wish is there something I could do more to to support my sister, um, but also like I don't know how to deal with these feelings. I mean, it will just go away eventually, but it just um, yeah. Sorry, bye. 
According to Rain, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, R-A-I-N-N.org, if you want to go there and check out their site and their services, every two minutes an American is sexually assaulted, young people are at highest risk of sexual assault, and one in six women, one in six American women, has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. 14.8% completed and 2.8% attempted. These aren't new stats. This isn't new data. I don't want you to feel worse, caller, but I'm surprised that it took your sister's attempted rape and then hearing this news about your aunt for you to become kind of fully consciously aware of the scale of this problem, the scale of the problem of sexual violence and the targeting uh, of women and and what women have to endure and go through every day. Particularly if you're a regular listener to this podcast, we talk about this a lot on this show. So I'm glad your sister is fine. I'm glad your sister had a friend there who had her back. I'm glad your aunt wasn't destroyed by the sexual assault that she suffered. Sounds like she's functional and healthy and out there and living her life, as are most women who've been sexually assaulted. They get on with it, and some live with the trauma and process the trauma every day and are consciously aware of the trauma every day, but they move through the world, they get on with their lives, and they continue to have sex lives. If women who've actually been victims of sexual assault and rape can find a way to express themselves sexually and enjoy themselves, enjoy their own sex lives, you should be able to get there too. You're right, caller. It'll just take some time for you to sit with this information that was widely available, widely shared, and I'm sure had gone in one of your ears in the past. Sounds like it then slipped out the other, or the full weight of it, the gravity of it, didn't strike you, it didn't occur to you, it didn't really register with you until you realized that your female family members are also women in the world who are subjected to this kind of predation and violence. Well, now you know. Now you're going to process that. Now you're going to think about it. And your ability to be sexual, your ability to be intimate with your girlfriend, that will revive. That will be restored to you. The sex that you have with your girlfriend is consensual. It is not violent. What makes rape rape is not an erect penis or the presence of a man. What makes rape rape is the absence of consent. And consent can be absence even in a situation where there are no men around at all. Women can rape other women. Rape is the absence of consent, not the presence of penises and men. Men are much likelier statistically to commit acts of sexual violence and rape. We're not drawing any sort of false equivalency here. We are conscious of that fact. But, caller, the issue isn't your dick. The issue isn't your gender. The issue is consent. And wherever there is consent, active, enthusiastic consent, it is not sexual assault. It is not rape. Whatever it might look like to anyone else who's not one of the consenting persons involved in that encounter. If what you know now or what you now know that you know about rape and sexual assault is interfering with your ability to be sexual with your girlfriend, just shift the focus. In a conversation with your girlfriend, shift the focus away from your dick or your gender and have a conversation about consent. Make consent feel very active and present. And stay in the fight. Be in the fight. Get in the fight. 
against rape culture. You are a man. You move through straight male spaces. You can tap into your grief, tap into your rage, tap into your raised awareness, and let that motivate you to confront evidence of rape culture where you encounter it. When other men are discussing women as if they are objects that they can take possession of, that they can grab. If you were on that bus, not with Billy Bean, I keep saying Billy Bean when we talk about the Donald Trump Access Hollywood bus tape. It's Billy Bush, not Billy Bean. I know where that brain fart is coming from. My apologies to Billy Bean. If you were on that bus, remember how you feel right now. Remember your rage. Remember your anger. Remember your despair. And let that motivate you to speak the fuck up, to get in the face of someone who was saying something, some asshole man who was saying something in the presence of you and other men in the absence of women about women that fuels the kinds of attitudes that led the person who attempted to roofie your sister to think that that was something they were entitled to do and might be able to get away with. Push back hard against those attitudes, which we now have labeled rape culture, a part of rape culture. Push back hard against them when you have the opportunity as a straight guy moving through straight guy spaces to speak up and you will then feel better about yourself and less guilty and less conflicted about your own desires and your right to them. And we are entitled to our own desires. We are not entitled to the bodies or the compliance of others. That's where consent comes into the picture. Again. Hi, Dan. I was calling in regards to your last episode, 523, about the man who was left in tears after he and his girlfriend were experimenting. I just um, wanted to point out, I wonder if this young man suffered some kind of sexual trauma or molestation, which is quite common in a lot of women. I know as a woman, that's the first thing I thought. I mean, regardless or not, if he's gay or not, I really think this man might have been molested or raped as a child or young man. Hi, I'm calling about episode 523 about the guy uh, who has a gay panic when his um, girlfriend, you know, hits him in the butt. I just want to say, like, as a person who was sexually abused as a child, I had that kind of reaction when I started doing that sort of stuff as an adult. And it took me a minute to connect the dots between, like, this terrible feeling of, like, a decaying self inside relative to this other terrible thing that felt previously disconnected from my sex life that happened when I was a kid. And then I was like, oh, oh, I get it. You carry that stuff around with you. So like maybe he's freaking out because he's gay. Or maybe it's because, you know, he was suffered sexual abuse as a child, which to men can be a very difficult thing to talk about and can have some pretty powerful reactions when confronted in a scenario of vulnerability when you're not prepared to deal with it. So I don't know. Just throwing that out there is like a possible alternative explanation other than he's like freaking out about his own closet. I'm breaking in here just to say thank you to both of you for calling in with that insight. You were one of many folks who called in to make that observation. It's an important one. And we, I, I, taking responsibility here, I missed it. I've always said that the column and the podcast are a conversation that I'm having with my readers and my listeners and your input is as valuable often as my output is. And so I really appreciate everyone who called in to make that point. And we're going to make sure that those, your observations and your insight uh, gets to the original caller. Thanks again. This is for the woman in episode 523 who called in regarding when to introduce her child to potential partners. My rule is six months. You have to keep in mind that this is the only time that it's going to be the two of you when it's all about you. 
And if your relationship with your child's father ended for the lack of attention or interest in you and your needs, you'd be foolish not to take the time alone with your new partner seriously. Because when your precious time is all over, if he makes it that far, you will then have the daunting task of marrying three schedules. Granted, that's only three schedules if he was never married and is childless. Trust me, I know living a dual life wears on you, but it's worth it for all parties involved. We're not going to leave it there. Not quite yet. We have a big announcement. We have two Savage Love Live stage shows coming up. Christmas specials, one in Portland at Revolution Hall on December 2nd. Tickets are at portlandmercury.com slash savage special. And we're also doing a Savage Love Christmas live show in Seattle at the Neptune Theater on December 4th, that same weekend. Tickets are at thestranger.com slash savage special. Live tapings of the Savage Love cast are always a lot of fun. It would be great to see you all there in Portland and Seattle, December 2nd. Portland, December 4th, Seattle. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment, and your comments are always, always welcome, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter, at FakeDanSavage. Follow Zachary Zane on Twitter, at Zachary Zane. Be sure to read Savage Love, my syndicated weekly sex advice column in the Baltimore City paper every week and other alternative weekly newspapers around the country and the world, world, world. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk you then, Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. Bye.